Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the truthfulness of your word and how you have shown us who you are and how people are to respond to you and how you are faithful. And so we come tonight seeking your faithfulness and seeking to grow in our understanding of you and to be more diligent in our response to you in times of plenty and times of want, in times of easy faith decisions and monumental confrontations. So be with us tonight, be with our discussion groups, and allow this time to be fruitful uh, and edifying. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, somebody want to shut those two doors, please? Otherwise, heaven forbid, we would hear other people enjoying themselves. I'd be distracted. So, like I said, this is uh, honestly one of my absolute favorite passages of the entire Old Testament, if not my favorite passage of the Old, Inter- uh, Old Testament. Um, we're going to have Elijah, and then we're going to have Elisha, and you remember that Elijah has a J, and Elisha has an S, and J comes before S, so Elijah comes before Elisha. Uh, when you're, maybe that'll be like a Bible baffle question. That'd be, yeah, that'd be one that uh, you'd be like, oh, yeah, which one comes first? Um, now, as I was just talking, uh, conversing with Lee, I know we've kind of been uh, enjoying Max. Um, tonight, we're not going to do as much Max because we've got some shorter bites that we're going to take, and I think um, we can take them together, and then we will get uh, a good dose of Max in 18, so... If you're um, disappointed that we didn't get more Max, you just put that on your card <laughs> on Sunday morning, and I'll get it and throw it in the garbage. <laughs> so here we are, verse 1 of chapter 17. Now, Elijah is not on the scene at all, and then just bam, he just shows up. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there, st- there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, uh, Elijah, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, we remember from last week that Ahab has come on the scene. And Ahab is not a nice man. Uh, He's not a good king. And Ahab is married to Jezebel, which, as uh, Tom pointed out last week, is kind of still this token uh, person of evil. And so Elijah comes onto the scene, we get no introduction to who he is, and he just immediately goes and has a little showdown with Ahab the king. And he says, uh, there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now these two words, dew and rain, are signs of blessing within the Old Testament and certainly within Deuteronomy. They are used as signs of blessing, and so when there's dew and rain, it's a good thing. Uh, And when there's not dew or rain, uh, it is a sign of God's cursing of the people. So, 
Elijah drops this bomb on Ahab, and then he, God says, all right, time for you to take off and go live in the wilderness. I mean, a la uh, Survivor-esque, he goes out into the woods with no food, and he is uh, fed by the ravens, and he drinks from the brook. Now, we're going to see this um, kind of progression of Elijah going out into the wilderness. We don't know anything about Elijah. He comes onto the scene, and God gives him this command. And we're going to see this theme of command and response. He comes onto the scene. God commands him to do this thing. He says, hey, go live in the wilderness, and I will take care of you. Seemingly uh, small task. And he's like, all right, here we go. He heads out into the woods, and the ravens feed him there. Now the question is, uh, how did they deliver the food? Right? Because, like, <laughs> Dan has an answer. You see ravens, and, like, are they picking up roadkill and dropping it? Are they killing it? Are they dropping it from above? Uh, when I worked at Bethel, um, I worked security, and our friend uh, who lived in front of our apartment building would always have college students parking in front of their, their, in their spot, their reserve spot, and then one day a bunny rabbit's um, head showed up on their car, and they thought for sure it was one of those evil Bethel College students or Bethel University students who had set the rabbit's head on their car as an homage, you know, Godfather style. Uh, but it was actually just a bird had dropped it. So when I saw that, I thought, this is Elijah, and he's just hanging out, and here comes a bird head, I mean a rabbit head, and he's like, oh, thank you. Um, but the interesting thing is he lives there for approximately three to three and a half years. Imagine that. All right, go out into the woods. I promise uh, I'll be dropping off packages of food. Well, not me, but the ravens. Uh, and then you have this water supply. Well, as we all know, um, if there's no rain, the water supplies tend to dry up. And so he knows that he's living on borrowed time, and yet he does it anyways, and he follows obediently to do what God wants him to do. Um, the, the irony of this story is when I went to New Mexico to run the camp, um, I was like, all right, this year we're going to study the life of Elijah as a staff, um, and literally the lake dried up right in front of us. <laughs> Yeah, you think it's funny. It wasn't so funny, and then we had to leave. <laughs> so Elijah's commanded by God to do this little thing. He responds, um, seemingly passes with uh, flying colors. His water source drives up, dries up, and it's like, all right, time to move. Uh, the word, verse 8, The word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Oh, by the way, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering uh, for myself and my son that we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake. Typical man, right? 
I know you got stuff to do, but I need you to feed me first. Um, but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and said, and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So Elijah goes, uh, he's living in the wilderness, and God says, all right, here's, here's where I want you to move. If living in the desolate wilderness by yourself isn't like prime real estate, oceanfront property in Arizona, I'd like you to go to Zarephath. Well, what is the, pro- what is the importance of Zarephath? Zarephath is the home of Jezebel, and we know that Jezebel is not the nicest person. And in fact, the problem with Ahab and Jezebel's relationship is Jezebel worships Baal. So there's this great controversy around it. And you're like, why didn't you just have Max? We'll hear Max read it in a second. It's not Baal, it's Baal. Like, throw me the Baal. So Zarephath is like the the belly of the beast for a follower of Yahweh to go into, and yet God calls him to go into Zarephath, and he says, I have somebody who's going to provide for you food and drink. We're, We're kind of moving up in the world from ravens to this widow. And so as you see, he goes in, and the thing about this widow that we need to understand is that she is not a follower of Yahweh. If you live in Zarephath, more than likely, you are a worshiper of Baal, and there has been no rain for approximately three and a half years, no rain, no crops, no crops, no wheat, no wheat, no food. And so they were given rations, and she is on her last bit of rations. And she's a widow, which means she is even uh, worse off than if she had a husband to take care of her within that culture. Hear me now uh, on that. And so Elijah goes in and he says to this woman, who's a non-believer in Yahweh, you have to trust me here. Now the problem with those who believe in Baal is you are going to be cursed or killed if you do something other than. So if she's going to help someone from another God, then there's going to be a problem for her and bad things will happen to her. And so she's down to her last bit of flour and her last uh, bit of oil. And it's not like Elijah says, hey, would you bring me your leftovers? Because that would make sense. It's like, okay, you take care of your household, and then whatever you got left, I mean, I'd be willing to take your leftovers. He says, no, I am of utmost importance. Your family, you you and your son, matter less than I do. And so she is taking this gigantic risk. You know, it's like you're eating, uh, and you go to get the bag of chips, And somebody says, oh, could I have some chips? And you look in the bag of chips and you're like, yeah, but this is it. 
Well, I promise I'll save you some. Yeah, right. I do not trust you. I am going to eat the chips for myself. But in this instance, it is life and death. She says that I may make this food and then my son and I will die. I mean, this is a last meal for them. And Elijah says, do not fear. You will be fine. You know, the old trust me here. If you are willing to make this last cake with all that you have, God will reward you with an endless supply. And she has a decision to make. And it begs the question, how do we respond in times of great need? And someone says, I need what you have. The last thing that you have. And we're like, ah, but I kind of really wanted that thing. And typically for us, it's not a matter of survival. It's a matter of enjoyment. But in this case, famine is ravishing the land. There is no more grain to be had, no more oil. They are in a bad place. And this this non-follower of Yahweh has this epiphany, and she takes this gigantic leap of faith and says, okay, I will trust you. Verse 15, And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. Because Elijah promises her, you will have grain again once there's rain. But remember, this has been going on for three and a half or three plus years. And so it's like, well, that's easy for you to say. We don't know it's going to take time. And how do I know that I'm going to continue to have resources? And where are these resources even going to come from? And she steps out in this significant step of faith and God responds. He responds to her faithfulness and her obedience. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So everything's going great, right? Elijah, commanded to do something, responds in this uh, maybe baby step type of faith, and then he has to take this bigger step of faith to go into the belly of the beast. This woman takes her first initial step of faith, not really buying in, but she buys in enough, thinking her life depends on it. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She takes this step of faith and her son dies. You ever been there? God calls you to do something. You step out in faith and the immediate next thing is a tragic thing. And you're like, why in the world did I even make this decision? Like, she says to Elijah, why have you come to bring punishment on me and my house by having a man of Yahweh in my house? It's even affecting Baal, and now my son is dying because of you. You take a step of faith thinking, what? 
Deuteronomic theology is, is do good, get good, do bad, get bad. She does a good thing. She does a faithful thing. And what does she get? She gets a dead son. It's like when Nikki and I moved to, to the cities and God's like, go to seminary. And I go to seminary and then I don't have a job. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I step out in faith, and how do you respond? So, what does Elijah do? He says to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn? By killing her son. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God that what the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Son dies. Elijah's like, don't worry, ma'am. I've got faith. I can revive this child. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, but I think this is maybe the first case of CPR. Nate, did you learn about this in medical school? First case of CPR pushes three chest compressions. Is that part of the staying alive beat? Really? I mean, come on. That was a joke. We didn't give CPR. God brought him back to life. Tom laughed about as hard as you did when I told him the same thing. So Elijah cries out to God, and God responds, and he brings this, this child back to life. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, the roller coaster of faith and obedience, and then, you know, Son dies. She's like, I knew it. You're a joke. You've brought, sin, you've brought this curse on me. You've brought this curse on my family. I should have never let you in. And Elijah says, don't worry. God can restore this situation. And Elijah cries out to God, and the God, then God revives this child. So this woman as a result of her encounter with Elijah, goes from worshiping uh, Baal, and now she says in verse 24, she, her faith that was somewhat secure and then shaken, which understandably so, now becomes completely confirmed. Now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I mean, it's, a, it's an absolutely fascinating example of faithfulness and obedience and God's provisions and this miraculous saving of this child and this woman responding in faith all because of Elijah's obedience to God. Now there is some uh, speculation here because if you noticed in verse 17, which I think it's important to point out because some of you are thinking, Wait a second. It says the mistress of the house, and there's some, some debate within the commentaries. Are we talking about two different women here? Because the first woman is described as a widow, 
and a son, and they have basically no food. And in the next paragraph, in essence, this woman is a mistress of a house, meaning she lives in a bigger house, and this upper room where Elijah is staying means that she must have some sense of means. And most of the commentators come down and say it has to be the same woman. It's just a slightly different description of her. And just because she has an upper room doesn't necessarily mean that she would have had that much for means. And so it's not like we have to believe that it's a separate person. More than likely, it's the exact same person. So, Elijah, baby step of faith, moving out into the wilderness, which some of you would say, not baby step, giant step. Baby step of faith, God responds, calls him into the belly of the beast. Another step of faith, trust me, I've got you covered. This woman has a couple different steps of faith, and now Elijah is just working his way up the ladder into 18 when he gets to have this showdown with Ahab yet again. 1 Kings 18. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave, and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so, when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you? You troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and follow the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal 
and the four hundred prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, 
Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. All right. Yeah. Woo. I mean, that was sweet. So as we roll into 18, we're into this third year and God commands him to go to Ahab. And the interesting thing is he doesn't say go to Ahab because you're going to have a showdown with the prophets of Baal. What does he say? He says go to Ahab because it's about to rain. So he responds and he goes to Ahab. But as you find, Ahab, they are in dire straits. The animals are dying. There's nothing for them to eat. So he sends Obadiah out to try and find some pasture land or at least some green grass for them to eat. So who is this Obadiah character? Well, we learn that Obadiah is a faithful follower of Yahweh to some degree, and he's hidden. There's only 50 prophets or 100 prophets of God, Yahweh, around. He's hidden them in these caves. There's these caves on Mount Carmel or Caramel, depending on how you prefer to pronounce it. And so he's got them stashed away in these two caves, and he's like, I'll be back. Three years, uh, trust me, I'll be back. He brings them food and water, takes care of them because he has this inkling in the back of his head that God is going to come and deliver the people. And so he wants to remain faithful. Obadiah wants to remain faithful to God, but he's having this crisis because he is the right-hand man, right-hand prophet for Yahweh to Ahab. The interesting thing is that Ahab even keeps him around because Jezebel has gone through this whole thing of killing all the prophets because she is trying to get Ahab and the nation of Israel to turn and worship her gods. And we remember that this was the whole reason why they weren't supposed to intermarry. And as I'm teaching in the youth and talking about King Saul and the fact that King Saul had issues with other uh, nations' women and he was making these alliances and it just continues and now Jezebel is seemingly one of the worst. So Obadiah is sent out, and they're all looking for, not Elijah, but for grass. And the interesting thing is Obadiah says what? We've been looking all over for you. Where have you been hiding? I mean, this is like ultimate camouflage. And his, even, his, his belief, Obadiah's belief is, when I leave, you're so special that God is going to take you and move you to a place that we will never find you again. I'm going to look like... Uh, the idiot, and then uh, I'm going to be killed by Ahab. And Elijah says, no, no, no. Um, trust me on this one. I've come for a purpose, and we are about to have a little showdown with Ahab. So when Ahab saw Elijah, verse 17, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. And we see this, uh, this idea of command and response, obedience or disobedience, and the people of Israel. <clears throat> and so basically, he just lays it out. The reason why is because you have abandoned the commandments of God. That is the reason why you are in the spot that you are. It's not my fault. And last week, with, or actually, yeah, last week, 
uh, with the youth. The reason why Saul is killed is because Saul disobeyed God when it came to the uh, Amalekites, and he was supposed to kill them all, and he didn't do it. And even as Saul is getting ready to die, he goes to the medium, and he see, they summon Samuel, and Samuel's like, Saul, you know why you're dying. It's because you disobeyed God. Common theme we see here. And so Elijah's like, don't get this twisted. You disobeyed God. That's why you're being punished. And oh, by the way, um, get the people, get all of your people, check this out, at least 850 prophets who eat at Jezebel's table. Imagine that table, right? I mean, that's massive. Um, So Ahab brings them all together, and Elijah comes near to the people. So Elijah has this moment where he has the nation of Israel together, and he is the, the voice box of God, And he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? And this word limping is this uh, imagery of using, um, I can't believe I'm, uh, crutches, I was totally losing the word, and how when you're on crutches, you kind of go back and forth and you limp along. So imagine the people of Israel and they're limping along trying to be obedient to Yahweh and at the same time worshiping Baal, and Elijah's like, here's the deal. Like, pick a side. You can't wear a Packers jersey and a Vikings hat. you got to pick a side. Like, seriously, buy Bears clothes. I mean, it's pretty simple. So he says, today is the day you need to pick a side. Don't be either half with God and half with Baal. Interesting Uh, evangelistic technique. It's like, if you're going to be a sinner, if you're going to worship another God, then go ahead. (laughs) And they still can't decide. Then uh, Elijah says to the people, I I only am left a prophet of the Lord, which isn't totally true. He didn't want to divulge the hundred that are hiding. And so he sets up this scenario where they each have a bull. Now, the, pro, or the, the god, Baal, was believed to be the god of rain, weather, and storms. And so he sets up this perfect scenario. The reason why they're not getting rain is because Baal is mad at them. That was their belief. But certainly, he has the ability to bring forth Um, lightning to start this fire and to consume uh, these sacrifices. Also, it's of note that Mount Carmel was known for its uh, high elevation and its lush landscape and lots of rain. Think the Pacific Northwest. They would have gotten a lot of rain and it would have been this lush place. What better place to have the showdown uh, with water and with fire? So they get ready. There's 400 of them. There's not even 400 of us in here. It'd be like all of you plus another all of you plus probably two more all of yous against me. You're like, yeah, just say four of us. Yeah, okay. Four of you all versus me. We're going to have this little showdown and we're going to have a little fire starting contest a la um, old school survivor when if you couldn't start the fire first, you're dead off the island. Thanks for playing. 
no million dollars for you. Is that show even on anymore? I don't get, it is? I don't even get TV. I figured when it went to Wednesday night, it was battling with church night. You never battle with church night. You die. <laughs> Obviously, it's still on. Probably most people just DVR it so it can survive. Uh, no pun intended. So they start, uh, start this little showdown. And all morning, they're doing their dances, they're shouting, they're doing their things. And nothing is happening. And this is maybe why I love this passage so much and why I love Elijah as a man of God and, and as, a, as a person in the Old Testament. What does he do? Verse 27, And at noon Elijah mocks them. Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, off thinking. This is the best one, right? All the guys got this one. Or maybe he's sitting in the bathroom. He is possibly relieving himself. Or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he is taking a nap. And that was the belief, is that these gods would just kind of do their own thing, and then these prophets would summon them, and they would wake up, and then they would come and do uh, what their people wanted them to do. Nothing happens. So they start to take drastic measures. They start cutting themselves and all of these things, and no one pays attention. And Elijah's like, all right, how about we do this? So he reconstructs his altar that they've already wrecked in their frenzy, builds this new altar, 12 stones, 12 uh, tribes, all of that. And then he's like, oh, uh, by the way, we need some water. That, that's what we almost miss here is they are in a drought and a famine. You know, it's like you're going for a long journey and, and you're on a hike and you're super thirsty and you're rationing your water and someone's like, my fingers are sticky. Could I get some of that water? No, you cannot. We are going to drink this water. But Elijah says, no, why don't you bring some water? Why don't you bring some more water? And why don't you make sure this is super soaked? You ever tried to start a fire with super wet wood? Not very fun. So, verse 36, Elijah the prophet comes near, okay? So we, we see this command and response. And all this time, they're making these elaborate productions to their God, Baal, and nothing is happening. Now, don't miss this. Okay, Elijah goes near to God, and what does he say? O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Does he say anything about the sacrifice, about the wood, about the fire? No. It's as if God is, is sitting over there, standing over there in the corner, and Isaiah, or Elijah goes over and he's like, so um, it's your turn. And God's like, you're right. <laughs> right? He doesn't have to make this big production. He doesn't have to make this big dance. He just says, God, 
It's time for you to show these people and to have them stop wobbling back and forth and to make a decision like the uh, lady did in the previous uh, chapter. And bam! The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I mean, you want to talk about a hot fire. Gone. It is gone like yesterday. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It's like all these people have been duped into believing maybe we can worship both gods. Maybe we can worship Baal and Asherah and Yahweh. And and then they're confronted after three years of living in this desert of of life. And God comes down in this massive way and just like, and they're like, okay, you win. And for some of us, we have those types of experiences where God comes in and just like, rain down the fire. Oh my word. Okay, you got my attention. I'm going to follow you. But for some of us, we have the experiences like this widow where God comes to us in a much more softer, gentler way that almost is harder to engage with. It's like, hey, why don't you follow me? You're like, oh, I'd follow you if you did that. And so what happens? They kill all these prophets. And now we have a little conversation. So Elijah goes to Ahab he says, um, can you, you smell that? Can you smell the change? He's like the old Denny Green, nor'easter, swings down, swings up. I think there may be, yep, my knee, okay, yep, low pressure. Can you smell it? Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing rain. Can you imagine that? Three and a half years with no rain whatsoever. During the Dust Bowl, during the Dirty 30s, Nebraska had 14 and a half inches in one year, which was down from six inches uh, the two years before, and they lost 75% of their crop. These people have no rain. And they basically, I mean, Nebraska is basically the desert, uh, But can you imagine that? And then here comes the rain, sort of. So Ahab uh, went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, There is nothing. Whoops. Uh, Go look again. Seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Three and a half years, Elijah shows up. He's like, Oh, by the way, I turned off uh, the irrigation system. When I come back, we'll turn it back on. 
And so now it's being turned back on. So check this out. Ahab gets his horses and he rides to Jezreel. This is the best. This makes Usain Bolt blush. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Like amidst all of this chaos and all of these crazy things, Elijah's like, why don't you get a head start? I know that um, you have horses. I'm just a man, 27 kilometers. I'll give you a head start. And then, I mean, it's just like this throwaway miracle, right? Because Elijah knows that God is with him and amidst every opposition, all of these things that are happening, crazy Jezebel killing all these people, drought and famine and all of this stuff, no one's left. Elijah has these baby steps of faith and God is with him all the way to this monumental showdown that wipes out the prophets of Baal, most of them. And then he gets, I mean, it's like when God does something in your life and you're just on cloud nine and you're like, I just feel like running 27 kilometers faster than a horse. You ever said that? I have not either. But it's absolutely fascinating to see how God is working in Elijah's life and he is on top, on top of his game. Because it started with one little act of obedience and then another act of obedience, and then another act of obedience. And when God calls him to do something, and he responds, God's like, I'm right there with you. Let's go to your discussion groups. 